Thank you, Pastor Cruz. And once again, good evening. Thank you for coming out tonight. It's good for us to be here. I know in, in some sense it's a different kind of night. It's an extra night to come out. But as we think of the title, Monday Thursday, that word, which as a kid I thought was Monday Thursday, but actually comes from the Latin mandatum, which means commandment. And so we're following the Lord's command by being here tonight and celebrating um, communion together, celebrating this Last Supper. And of course, of any time of year, there's no better time than, than tonight for us to do this. We want to remember the death of our Savior as we celebrate this communion together. You know, there's many ways somebody could choose to be remembered or ways that you might remember a person after they're gone. Some families might remember a loved one after their death by gathering together every year and doing a certain thing together. Maybe you play a favorite game. Maybe you gather at a certain location. Maybe you make sure to get together at a certain time at a certain place every year to remember them. There are many ways that people could do this. And in this particular case, as we look at Matthew and really all of the Gospels, we see that Jesus sets aside this particular event for his disciples to remember his death. And he does it in a very specific way. So my thesis tonight, my main idea that I want to get across to you is that Jesus actually was very intentional about the way in which he designated communion, designated the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, however you want to say it, um, so that his disciples would remember his death going forward. It wasn't just a haphazard, thrown-together series of details. It wasn't just chosen at random. He didn't choose this particular time or this particular group to be with just randomly. But what I want to show you tonight is that everything that we know about communion, about the Last Supper, was done for a purpose. And I want to show you what that purpose is. So tonight, if you get nothing else, you should walk away with this thought that Jesus intentionally established communion in its every detail, its symbolism, its focus, its participants, and its timing. So let's explore those things together tonight. And I'll reference the passage that Pastor Cruz read, but also some other different passages, so we'll jump around a bit. And um, if, if you don't turn to each one, I'll be sure to read them aloud to you. The first question that we might ask um, is why did he partake of the Last Supper during the Passover? Okay, if there's one thing that a lot of people usually know about the Lord's Supper is that it was instituted on the Passover. And um, we know that ceremony was underway from Matthew 26, 17. And it says there, now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare uh, for you to eat the Passover? So we could ask again, why did he choose to do it then? And to answer this question, we should explore what that original celebration was about. The Passover was a yearly observance that remembered God's delivering the Israelites from slavery. The original Passover occurred when God struck down the Egyptian firstborn and spared those in the Israelite camp. And that's found all the way back in Exodus 12. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read this for you, verses 1 through 12. In Exodus 12, it says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And then if we jump to verse 5, it says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You can take it from the sheep or from the goats, 
and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill the lambs at twilight. And then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh at night, roasted with fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. And in this manner, verse 11 says, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, with your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. So you can see, just as we kind of rehearse this story, there are many different stipulations for that ceremony, and God immediately made this rite that was to be repeated every year in memory of this saving act. Eventually, by Jesus' time, that celebration had different elements. So, for example, during the Passover, each Jewish family was to slaughter a lamb and eat its meat. And te- te- uh, uh, technically, the, the families typically went to the priests who would slaughter the lamb for them at the temple. That lamb had to be a year-old male. It had to be flawless in form. And next, the blood of that lamb was spread on the top and both sides of the doorframe, which we just read from in Exodus 12. This was done after the pattern of the Israelites, who did the very same thing. And then, as tradition developed, four separate cups of wine, each diluted with water, were consumed during the meal. Bitter uh, herbs were also eaten and reminded the Jews of the bitterness of their slavery. In practice, those bitter herbs were often dipped into a mixture of nuts and fruit and sometimes vinegar to lessen their bitterness. And so that's an interesting fact just to take note of when we looked at Matthew 26, 23, where Jesus says, the one who dipped his hand into the dish will betray me. So a little bit of connection there to, to the tradition. Finally, bread without leaven was eaten during this day. Exodus 12, uh, 17 through 20 tells us that. This was intended to remind them of how their forefathers had to leave Egypt in haste. God's deliverance was so swift that the Israelites didn't have time to allow the bread to rise. And so the Jews used unleavened bread in this ceremony ever since. And at some point in the meal, it became traditional for a child in the family to ask the adults in the ceremony what it means and for the adult to give an answer. That's explained in Exodus 12, 26. Then the meal would close with the singing of hymns, according to tradition, usually Psalm 113 or 18. And that's how the Jews remembered God's saving act from the hand of Pharaoh. Now, I explain all that, and you might ask, well, how does that relate to the Lord's Supper? Well, once we know the background of this celebration, it becomes more apparent that Jesus is intentionally setting himself up as the ultimate Passover lamb. And so one of the key verses that makes this connection is 1 Corinthians 5-7. And the Apostle Paul says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So through Christ's sacrifice, his blood, just like the blood of this lamb of the Passover, had to be applied to us. And so God's wrath, we might say, passes over us. Like the angel that went throughout the land of Egypt and killed the firstborn, so too God's wrath is going to one day be executed against this world. For as Romans 3.23 reminds us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But if Christ's blood has been applied to the door of our hearts, as it were, 
God's wrath passes over us. We could also say the same, uh, that, that in the original Passover, the lamb's blood was uh, splashed on the lintel of the door of the houses of God's people. And in that way, I like this comparison that one of the commentators of uh, 1 Corinthians makes. Anthony uh, Thistleton is his name. He says this, So too, partaking in Jesus' blood in the cup of communion marks the identity of those who are about to enter a new freedom from bondage to a new purity of service as God's own holy people. So Christ's blood marks us as God's holy people, just as that blood of the Lamb marked the Israelites as God's people as well. Additionally, it's fitting that Jesus' body is called bread, since he has already revealed himself as the bread of life. If we look to John 6, he's called himself that. And then verse 51 reads, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus was intentional even in which solid element he chose to represent himself. We could even take this a step further. Once again, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 makes this connection, which we just read, where it says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may become a new lump, as you really are unleavened, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. In in, uh, Jewish celebrations of the Passover, uh, the leaven which is removed from all the houses during the night, uh, during this night of their month of Nisan, uh, uh, the 13th and 14th day, of that month is the symbol of, or is meant to be the symbol of all evil and wickedness which characterize the old world. Uh, You remember that uh, the Passover bread was made without yeast or leaven. And so here in that verse we just referenced, 1 Corinthians, Paul is making a spiritual application to this. Just as the Jewish people removed leaven from their houses prior to celebrating Passover, so too we should remove, as it says, the old leaven Uh, the sinfulness from our lives when we commit ourselves to Christ. Again, there's great intentionality here in the symbol of this bread. But just as Christ was intentional about choosing the bread, so too the wine was a perfect symbol to show that he was the Lamb of God. So Jesus took this traditional cup of wine, known as the cup of blessing, in the Passover feast, and it also represented Um, his blood, which was poured out for them. Just as the blood of the Passover lamb was shed so that the Israelites could be saved from God's wrath, so too Jesus' blood is shed on the cross so that we might be spared eternal punishment. And the use of wine, which was poured out for the disciples, makes it clear that Jesus is the suffering servant of Isaiah, whose life was also poured out for the forgiveness of many. If uh, you remember that, that great prophecy of Isaiah 53, verse 12 says this, Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured himself out to death. You hear that word poor there, and there's a correspondence here, I believe. And he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors, it says. Jesus tells his disciples that in this act of communion, that he is about to pour out his life for them. He will be their ultimate Passover lamb. He will give his life voluntarily. So why does Jesus choose the Passover as the setting for this memorial? Well, I'd say he ultimately intentionally chose it. 
so that we would know that he is our Passover lamb. We are to see the fullness of these ceremonies in Christ. And Colossians 2 tells us that very fact about these ceremonies in general. It says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. This is in verses 16 and 17. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs in Christ. So even the Passover was a shadow of what it was ultimately pointing forward to that we see here in the Lord's Supper. The original Passover celebrated a real powerful act of deliverance by God for the people of Israel in their exodus from Egypt. And yet, as we've seen, it's only a shadow, as Colossians 2 says. Its truest and fullest meaning is found in Jesus' death. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So now that we understand why Jesus chose this particular uh, festival for this memorial, we still have other questions to be asked. For instance, why did Jesus make it the focus, uh, make the focus of the Last Supper his death? I wonder if you've ever thought of that before. He says very intentionally that this is to remember his death, or we celebrate this to remember his death until he comes. Um, you know, just before he was crucified, he didn't leave his disciples with a command to remember his birth or his ministry or his resurrection. Not that there's anything wrong with remembering those things, and we do at Christmas and at Easter, but if you really think about it, the thing he tells us to remember most is his, his death here. Um, and we're told in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, every time we celebrate the Last Supper, we, quote, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we might ask, why did Jesus institute a command that was focused on remembering his death as opposed to something else? Well, first of all, we could say that the reason he focused on his death wasn't because he thought his resurrection was unimportant. Far be it from that. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ hasn't been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So the Bible is definitely not saying that the resurrection is unimportant. It certainly is important, and Christ wouldn't have denied this. But yet, when we look at all that God has done throughout human history, we see that Jesus' death is one of the ultimate events that makes salvation possible, is the event. And without Jesus' death on the cross, God's justice and wrath could not have been satisfied for the sins of mankind, and all of us would today still be dead in our sins, destined for judgment. His sacrifice was the very reason that Jesus came to this earth, and he tells it plainly to us in John 12, 27, when he says, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. So it says very clearly, I came for this purpose. On one hand, it's, it's a somber thing to focus on his punishment, his torture, his crucifixion, it was not a pleasant thing. It's not a fun thing for us to focus on. And in fact, when we come to Good Friday, maybe there's part of you that um, kind of dreads that in a way, just to, to stop and think for a period of time about everything that Jesus experienced. It's not a pleasant thing to focus on. Um, and years ago, and this was you know, many years ago by now, um, maybe some of you might remember it was a big deal then that the Passion of the Christ came out. 
And uh, it was a big deal because normally you don't have a movie about Jesus that makes a national bit of news and that is being played in, in theaters throughout. And while you might say there are some issues with the movie, one thing that it did get right is just in how well and in what detail it portrayed Christ's suffering before and on the cross. And it's not a type of movie that you would watch many times. Um, when you watch it once, it, it, it gets you a little bit sick to your, your stomach to, to really stop and think about everything that Jesus went through. Uh, to imagine some of those things is hard. So it's not something that you would necessarily want to rewatch over and over. But that just illustrates the point that uh, this, is, this is a difficult thing for us to comprehend. But then again, when we remember that Jesus willingly suffered all of that for us, that he did so to achieve our forgiveness, that, he, that uh, his death brought our reconciliation to God, and that, as Isaiah 53 says, by his wounds we are healed, we realize just how thankful we should be for his death. And there's so much that was accomplished because of it. John Piper's written a short book called 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die. And I would recommend that to you. And here are just a few of the things that Piper highlights, things that were accomplished at Jesus' death. He bore the wrath of God that we deserved. He demonstrated the wealth of God's love and grace for sinners. He achieved the forgiveness of our sins. He finished his life of complete obedience to the Father. He lived a life of complete righteousness, a righteousness that is bestowed upon us at our conversion. He fulfilled the law. He reconciled us to the Father. He freed us from the slavery to sin. He thwarted the plan of Satan. He showed us what it meant to suffer persecutions and endure. And so much more I could go on. But when we think of everything that Jesus accomplished through his death, we realize that there is nothing more powerful really, for us to remember every time we celebrate this together. So Jesus' death certainly is an event that we all should remember and take to heart. So we've seen now the intentionality behind this, the festival that he chose uh, to have this uh, remembrance on. Uh, we've seen the intentionality on what it was he told his disciples to focus on. And uh, this brings up a third question. Why did Jesus only share this meal with such a small group of followers? What can we say about the audience that was present for the Last Supper? Because if we're being honest, you know, if you, if you really start to explore this question, you, you realize Jesus could have done this at any time, right? He had no trouble drawing a crowd. Uh, we know from the Gospels that he once fed a group of 5,000, and in another case, a group of 4,000. And if he wanted to, he could have had any number of people gather around him to establish this. Um, and, and you could say from a pragmatic standpoint, 4,000 people or 5,000 people definitely could have gotten the word out about this a little bit faster than 12 could have. Uh, but yet we see Jesus didn't do it that way. Why was that? Well, I don't think we have to speculate in order to discover an answer. The key comes in Luke 22, verse 19. And this is where Jesus says, this is my body, which is given for you. And again, in verse 21, this cup is poured out. You hear the key words, for you. So the emphasis then is that Jesus' death is not for the crowds, but it is for his followers, for 
the elect, for those who have been chosen by God, those who truly follow him. That's why Jesus is choosing to institute this meal here with this small group of individuals. So two words of clarification as we think about this. Matthew's account, uh, Jesus says this, and, and this expands on some of the words that he says uh, there. He says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many, for the forgiveness of sins. So what does that mean if he's saying for the many? Well, I would, I would say that this word many isn't meant to contradict Luke's account where he says this is for you. Um, but when Jesus says it's for the many, he means that there are many in the kingdom of God who are his followers and who will be saved as time goes on. And so we understand that his death is for us and indeed for the many who will ultimately believe in his name. But the second question that this might raise, and maybe this came to your mind, is what do we do about Judas? Uh, is Jesus saying that this bread and this cup is for you, i.e. The, the, the people who are present with him, and does that include Judas? Uh, for we know that Judas betrays Jesus and ultimately isn't saved. Well, the answer to that, I believe, as far as I can tell in the text, uh, Judas doesn't seem to actually be present for the actual institution of the Lord's Supper. He's present at the beginning, to be sure, but not at the point where Jesus distributes the bread and the wine. In Matthew 26, 25, it's clear, it's clear that Judas starts out in the room with them. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this before. Jesus says in verse 23, he answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. And then in verse 25 of Matthew 26, Judas says, is it I, Rabbi? So right there, we see Judas is there. He's in the room. He's there when Jesus is saying this. He responds. But the Gospel of John gives us some additional details here, and I encourage you to turn to John 13, just because this is something that adds to the passage a bit. John 13, 25 through 27 is where we'll go next. So Jesus has just asked this question, or said, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me, and Judas says, is it I, Rabbi? But then chronologically, it seems that the words of John 13, 25 through 27, are what follow here in the conversation. John 13, 25. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Verse 26, Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give the morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. And I think that's the key right there. What you're going to do, do quickly. The implication is that at this point, Judas leaves. And after that point, Jesus comes to the conclusion of the meal with the bread and the wine, which he gives to the remaining 11, saying, this is for you. So if this is the case, there's tremendous significance in Jesus saying his body and his blood are for you meaning for those who believe in him, those who follow him. We see this teaching in texts such as John 10, 14, and 15. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to these words. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I laid my life down for the sheep. And John 10, 28 and 29 says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So why does that matter? Well, because it shows that Jesus' death is specifically given for us, 
And I think that's incredibly personal. And the Bible holds these two things to be true, that when it says it's given for you, there's a lot of times that that, that word is plural. We don't see it in the English, but in the Greek, uh, it, it's, it's a plural word. So Christ's death is for you, for us, a, a body, uh, a, a people group, the church, right? Those who would believe. But it, we, we also know that included in that group is us, personally. And when he is sitting there with the 11, saying that this is my body which is for you, it's incredibly, incredibly personal. Keep in mind, it's not that we've earned it. We've done nothing to deserve being recipients of this great benefit. But rather we see something incredibly personal in Jesus, not instituting this celebration with the crowds or the masses, but with these men who are saved and redeemed. To think that Jesus gave his life for me is an incredibly personal thought. I think of 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And that includes me, includes you, for anyone who has trusted in Jesus Christ. When we hold this communion, uh, these elements in our hand, we are to see an overwhelming expression of his love uh, given for us. And if you've trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation, uh, you are saved, and this sacrifice, his death, is given for you. It's an amazing thought. So now we know why Jesus chose to hold the Last Supper on Passover, why he focused on his death, and why he only shared it with these apostles. But one question remains. Why did Jesus only enact the ceremony at the end of his life? Why did he only teach them how to remember him in this uh, one of their last moments together? One could say, could he not have begun the celebration of the Lord's Supper in the middle of his ministry? So they could have celebrated it several times. Why at the end of his life? Once again, I believe the text supplies us with a clue to this answer. And in short, before I read these for you, I think uh, the answer is that he, he, he did it to prepare his disciples for the future. Uh, they needed to be prepared uh, for hard times that were to follow. And we see clues of this in the Gospels. Uh, for starters, Judas was about to betray him. And so Jesus used that time to warn the other 11 of this betrayal. Matthew 26, 20 and 21 says, When it was evening, he reclined at table with the 12. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. But even though this fact alone would have been enough to shock his disciples, and it does, for sure it does, Jesus also used that time to pre prepare them for their own abandonment. Verse 31 says, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. Not just one person betraying me, but all of you will fall away to some degree uh, this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Then, specifically, Jesus takes this opportunity to warn Peter of his denial. Verse 34, Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. You know, how devastating that must have been for Peter and the apostles to hear. How could they have possibly responded to such painful words? And yet Jesus, who carefully planned out everything from the beginning offers the bread and the wine at just the right time to assure them that even though they might fall away, his body and blood were still given for them. Jesus timed his last supper so that it might bring comfort, 
I believe, to his disciples. He's giving this to them at the same time as telling them about all these terrible things that are going to happen. But even more serious than their own falling away, the disciples were also about to lose their Lord and Savior on earth. Jesus was about to be taken from them and crucified, though they did not yet realize it or grasp it. Jesus alludes to it when he says in verse 28, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. He prepares them not only for his death, but also for life without him. Hence, 1 Corinthians 11 says, do this in remembrance of me. And the disciples will have to carry on in life. Jesus will still soon be taken, but they must continue. How will they keep Jesus' sacrifice in their minds when he is gone? Once again, Christ places the Last Supper at just the right time to prepare them for the years ahead and to help them to remember him. And with this, Christ not only prepares them for the bad times that are to come, but also for a bright future as well. So Matthew 26, 29 says, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So though Jesus is going to be crucified, this will not be the last time they share this cup together. This is not the last supper after all. In fact, one day, the disciples will be reunited with him at a table and share a future heavenly meal together. Revelation calls this the wedding supper of the Lamb, and all believers will be present to share in this wonderful feast, perfected and cleansed as Christ's bride. Revelation 19, seven through nine says, let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And then it says, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. So thus Jesus placed the last supper at the end of his life, not only so that he could prepare his disciples for the hard times that were coming and reassure them, but also to give them hope of a great future supper with him in heaven. The timing could not have been more perfect. So here we are today, 2,000 years later, celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And I hope you've seen that Christ did not leave us just a random memorial for us to remember him by, but rather a carefully planned out ordinance so that we might remember his death to the fullest degree. So as we partake of this together, remember the true Passover, not simply God's act of delivering the Israelites out of slavery, but rather the fact that Jesus offered his body as our Passover lamb so that God's wrath would not destroy us. When you hold this bread, you remember Christ's body. When you drink this cup, you remember Christ's blood, which is poured out for you. And as you do so, keep in mind that Christ meant this ordinance for those who would believe in him. If you're trusting in Christ as your Savior and Lord, we invite you tonight to partake. But if you do not believe in Jesus and don't trust in him yet as your Savior, then we would ask you to refrain. And with that being said, though, if you're sitting here tonight and would like to trust in Jesus Christ for the first time, you certainly can do so. And maybe that might seem like an awkward thing, or that we're here to celebrate the Lord's Supper and maybe you didn't come prepared for this, but maybe... If you're sitting here and, and have never trusted in Jesus Christ, there is always an opportunity to do so. 
If you've read any of the Gospels, you know at the very end, there were criminals hanging on the right and the left of Jesus, and one of them placed their faith in Jesus Christ, even though it was in his last moments. There's never a bad time to trust in Jesus Christ. And you certainly can do so tonight and celebrate this supper in remembrance of his death. If you're here tonight or if you're watching online and you've never done that, I just want to explain how you can. You can make this the night where you've trusted in Jesus and believed in for the first time and are forgiven. All you need to do is admit that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness. Just recognize how many times each and every one of us fail to live up to God's standard of holiness. But be willing to turn from trusting in anything else for eternal life and trust only in Jesus Christ. Believe that he died on the cross for your sins. Believe in his resurrection. Believe he was who he said he was. Accept his offer to forgive your sins and become your savior. And if you do so, you'll be forgiven. You'll be God's child. You'll be in peace and with him in heaven. If that's a decision you'd like to make today, I'd just like to pray a prayer if you would all bow with me. And if you are in that situation uh, tonight, whether you be watching online or here in person, it's a prayer you can pray as well. Dear Jesus, thank you for making it possible for me to be saved and to have peace with God. I confess that I am a sinner. I confess that I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, that you came back to life from the grave, and that you are the only way to heaven. I don't want to trust in anything else for eternal life, not my own goodness, not any religion, not any other thing, not any good works, but I trust only in you and your perfect life and your sacrifice. I commit my life to serving you as my Lord, and I receive your sacrifice on the cross on my behalf so that I can be forgiven of my sins and have everlasting life with God my Father. Thank you, Jesus, for this gift. Amen. And if you've prayed that prayer, and not just said the words, but if you've really confessed that Jesus is real, that, he, that you want him to be your Lord and Savior, and you believe in your heart that he has risen from the dead, then you are, in fact, saved. You are welcomed into his family. And for all who have trusted in Jesus, all of us, whether it's a decision you've made tonight or if you've been following him for years, we're invited to this table. Jesus left us a very intentional way to remember his sacrifice. And so we remember and follow that command today as we partake together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we partake now, we thank you for the way in which the Son of God left this example for us to follow, a way for us to remember his death, to think of the symbolism behind it all, to remember that he is our perfect Passover lamb, through whom we have freedom, through whom we have forgiveness of sins. His life was poured out for us, that he is the bread of life, and Lord, that if we have believed in him, uh, he has done this for us. So thank you for that sacrifice, Lord. May you be honored and glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen.